Good evening, everyone. This is Raj Janeja from Vocal Life India, and I'm pretty excited for today's session. Today we have with us James Widet, who is a mindset coach, and I've been following his content on Instagram. It's under Poker Mastery, and you guys have to check it out if you haven't already. And um, so I'm really excited. I'm sure. I hope you guys had a good Sunday, even if you didn't. You know, that's the nature of poker. Monday is a good day to, you know, unwind, probably take a break from poker and listen to chill podcasts such as this. So, without further ado, let me introduce James. James, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Welcome, guys. Thank you for tuning in. So, James, for those uh, of our audience who don't know about you, who haven't seen you on Instagram, please give us a brief introduction about what you do, how you do it, and what is your purpose. Sure. So I'm a poker mindset coach. I work with over 500 players from all around the world, many different countries. And uh, I was a professional poker player myself. I uh, still am to an extent. I was a supernova elite on poker stars playing high stakes state and goes way back in, geez, 2012. Um, I've been a pro since before Black Friday. And um, I've been playing tournaments the last couple of years, but mostly as kind of a semi-retired. I did play the 5K yesterday. and. Uh, I was very proud of myself that when I lost ace-queen to ace-king, I felt nothing. So that was kind of a strong mindset. But, um, you know, some of the guys I've worked with are, you know, Patrick Leonard, European, uh, you know, some of the best players in the world, Jungle Man. Uh, these guys have been people who have hired me to help out with uh, their mindset, people they stake and coach. So, yeah, I've been around the block quite a lot. I've been a poker player for, God, my, my poker star screen name is 16 years old, I realized the other day. 16 wow. years old. So I've been around the block for a long time. I've lived with a lot of poker players. I've been in poker communities in, in Budapest, in Mexico, in, in Vegas. Uh, yeah, I have a ton of experience in this business, and uh, I love helping people because, you know, I got to a point where I, uh, I wanted something else. You know, I wanted something that kind of contributed to other people and their development, and that's my story coaching. Wow, uh, that was a lot of information. I mean, um, I think when you said that you did the Supernova Elite, uh, but I, I love the brevity and I love how you packed everything in it and you and you um, and the names that you took and the places you've been. I think it summarizes a lot about where you come from. It's not just that um, you know the psychology side of things. Now that you're a mindset coach, you've actually been through the grind. So that is always important. So, um, you know, under the mindset uh, topics, we have a plethora of topics. Uh, so, James, why did you choose, uh, you know, when I uh, hit you up, why did you choose the topic of habits? There's so much under the sun. So what is the importance of it? Why habits? There's a couple of good reasons. Um, one is that, uh, and, you know, I hope I don't offend anybody by saying this, but poker players as a demographic tend to have some pretty poor habits. And I can delve into specifically what some of those are. But, um, you know, I don't say this in a place of judgment. I had horrific habits because you can get away with it. You know, it's like you figured out a way to make money from your laptop, don't have to, you know, go to a job, don't have to, you know, punch a time card, don't have to be at class, don't have to do all the things that other working people like kind of have to do to fit into society. And because of this, a lot of people, it's like it was their path to freedom to play poker. And then they have this unconscious resistance to making good habits for themselves because it feels like, well, if I did the same things on a regular basis, that'd be a routine and I would hate that. But then they have these ambitious goals. And look, if you want to be top 1% at anything in the world, you're going to need, the way that happens is that you have the habits that get you there. So, you know, you, you get what you train for. And if you don't have the, 
the practices in place to learn and execute, then why would you excel? It doesn't make sense that you would. Okay. So you can have your, that, I think a lot of it comes down to is the independence that comes in with the poker player. There's nobody watching you, right? Um, at least your boss is making sure that you're on time, you're doing this, you're doing that. You know, your ducks are in a row. There's a system of authority and structure, which we as poker players lack. And I think um, a lot of people who are working independently also lack. So habits are, let's say, once you have a grand vision or a plan, the objectives, it's the smaller daily action steps that come in daily, right? But then again, it's easier said than done. So how do you propose one like makes a master plan and then breaks it down and plans their habits to be successful in life? Well, you touched on something really, really important there, which is accountability. Uh, poker players don't have accountability. And, and a lot of people who are entrepreneurs and work for themselves, they don't have accountability to anyone but themselves. And that creates this problem where if you've been in the habit of not following through, you say, oh, I'm going to start going to the gym. And they're like, yeah, next week. You know, your word doesn't mean much to yourself because you've already made the, you know, you say I'm not going to eat pizza, but then, you know, 8 o'clock comes around and you're like, oh, I'm just going to go to pizza. You know, like whatever it is you're trying to change, you're in the habit of not really doing it. And that's why having a poker community is so important. So, you know, whether it's like, uh, you know, a team or a program or whatever, like you need to have other people. It can even just be a friend, like an accountability buddy. But this is also a big reason why I've had a lot of clients and there's a lot of need for poker mindset coaching is poker players need someone to kind of share their plan with. And then, you know, they check in and say, hey, is it going according to the plan? And they go, uh, yeah, kind of. Uh, all the guys in my community start a blog because when you start sharing with, you know, close friends, people you know, what your goals are, it makes it more real. Uh, you can even do this on your Instagram. You know, say you decide you're going to give up, I don't know, you're going to give up a certain kind of food for a month. You just go on your Instagram and you create that social accountability by saying, hey, guys, I'm doing a 30-day challenge. You've probably seen a million people doing this before. There's actually a reason why it works. And there's also a psychological reason why after 30 days, they'll probably go back to doing whatever they're doing before because now the accountability is gone. Does that make sense? It does, it does. Uh, because a lot of the times people relapse, right? So digging for it, um, let's say that we, uh, you and I sat here and we're like, okay, we're going to change our lives for the better. Let's take it from the up top, right? You sit down and you analyze about what's, uh, you know, what's wrong in your life, what can be better. So how do you set about making a plan for your habits so that your life changes for better? What are the action steps uh, so that we do it in such a manner that it sticks and it's effective? Sure. So very interesting, too, because you, you kind of glossed over there that you sit down and you make this plan. Most people don't do that. So that's like action step number one, right? you got to get clear on what it is you're trying to accomplish because no habit will have any meaning if you don't know why am I doing this. You know, like a kid in school, they're like, why do I have to learn this? If your habits don't clearly go to a place you want to go to, you won't have motivation for them. And motivation is the, the ground floor. So... When you're building your habits, I have four steps that I follow. And you guys following along, you can, you know, jot this down if you feel compelled to. You start with motivation. Motivation is what gets you off the couch. Motivation will get you out of bed. And motivation is always tied to a vision, to an idea like where I want to go with my life. So I want to become a great poker player. I'm motivated. I'm going to study. You know, you see your favorite poker player on TV or Twitch or whatever, and you're like, I want to be successful like this person. So I'm off the couch. I'm, you know, closing 
closing the you know Netflix or whatever, and I, I'm going to work on my poker game. Okay, that's motivation. Great. Now we need momentum. Because when you first start doing a habit, your brain is like, what the hell is going on? You, you take your brain into a new place to do new stuff that it's not used to doing, and it's uncomfortable because you lack the neurological wiring to make those skills easy. So if you're opening a new software program for the first time, you know, an odds calculator or something, it feels terrible. It feels like overwhelming. I mean, you might be curious, but you might also be like, oh, I, I, you feel far behind. It brings up all this stuff about how good you are or aren't already. And most people already want to have their goals. So they don't like doing things that remind them that there's work to do. So you have to understand that not only do you have all this inner discomfort to work through when you're doing a new skill and overwhelm and this kind of thing, your brain will actually change to be better at doing what you're asking it to do if you just keep doing it. So this is momentum. Momentum is when you do the same thing even though it doesn't feel that good and you start to see that it's getting easier and you're getting better. And, and it's starting to click, and it's starting to make sense. It's like when you're going to the gym and you first like look in the mirror after three weeks, and you actually see a difference in your body, and you're like, "Hey, you know, it's working." <laughs> yeah. So these are the first two steps. The third step is discipline. Discipline um, is what we need when we hit those plateaus, because there will be days where it doesn't feel like you're making progress. There will be days, there may be stretches or you're not seeing it in your results. And you kind of have to be able to say, I know doing this is going to help, so I'm just going to do it. You can call it grit, you can call it determination, but it's, you know, they say that kind of motivation and momentum could be for amateurs. I don't really think that's the case, but if that's all you operate on, oh, I do it when I feel like it. Well, you're probably not going to be playing against, you know, Ben Salsky and, you know, Phil Galfond, because you, unless you feel like studying all the time, you're just yeah. not going to be able to get as good as they did. Uh, same mm -hmm. thing for Olympic athletes. You need to be able to know my deepest self, my highest self wants this. So when I'm kind of not feeling it, I, I'm, I'm just going to do it. You know, I'm just going to do the work I need to do. A habit of going through the motions and growing to hate your career, just being mm -hmm. able to be more disciplined than you've been previously. Excellent. And then the um, final. I, I mean, sorry, sorry I'm catching you over here, but I want to dig in a little <laughs> bit. So well, once we say just do it, right? Um, we spoke about motivation. There's a very interesting thing that I want to discuss with you, uh, which is about triggers, right? Uh, a lot of self-consciousness should, should come in. The point where you decide that okay, I'm either going to watch Netflix or I'm I'm going to study. Right. So um, what would you like to tell us about like how we can in a way program ourselves to recognize our triggers and to take the path uh, which will actually get us good results and make and have it uh, stick? That's actually a beautiful segue. I don't know if that was intentional, but uh, the last stage is your identity. And your identity is what makes it easier to inform all those little decisions. Mm -hmm. If you really see yourself as the consummate, the professional, right? Then when the choice is like, do I want to review these hands or do I want to go to the movies? It's not really a choice. It's already made because who you are dictates that decision. And when, you're, um, when your mind isn't made up about who you are or perhaps your mind, unfortunately, is stuck in the past and maybe you see yourself as the, uh, 
you know, rebellious teenager or the, you know, pothead or whatever, you see yourself not as a crusher, mm-hmm. then you kind of, it's easier to fall into those old habits. So let's go to what you can do when you want to break those habits. You want to um, move away from the, the bad, maybe your identity is not rock solid as the, uh, you know, highest and best self, and you do have some, some habits you want to move away from, drinking, alcohol, uh, cigarettes, porn, you know, whatever. What you need to do with these kind of habits is you need to become aware of what the stimulus is, what the cue is, mm-hmm. that makes you want to do that. Yeah. You know, so it can be an advertisement, it can be something you saw on Instagram, it can also be like a feeling of boredom. For a lot of people, their habits are ways of tuning out. Um, I mean, we're on a mindfulness series, right? A lot of times it's people's inability to just sit in the present moment and be satisfied. You know, there's nothing going on. I feel like I need something. I don't really know. I just have this restless feeling, so let me get a beer out of the fridge or let me, you know, let up a cigarette. Mm. And to understand where these urges come from, we have to understand that our brains are, are fueled with two chemicals, right? Well, many, but two main ones, serotonin and dopamine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, dopamine is what we get from a drink, from a smoke, from, a, from scrolling Instagram, from a new message. And serotonin is what makes us feel satisfied, makes us feel kind of fine with whatever's going on. Now, most of us will crave more pleasure, which is dopamine, but unfortunately, the more pleasure we get from new, like, you know, certain activities, especially addictive activities, the less serotonin we end up with. So, like, it's like this cycle where, you know, we go after something to make us feel good, mm-hmm. makes us feel good for a moment, then we feel worse, and then we need to go after something else to make us feel good more, but we've become, like, like almost numb to that feeling. And a lot of people, when their habits are really bad, they're in this place. Like they just, their energy is so low, they feel depressed, maybe not clinically, but they just feel lousy. Like they don't feel like that person who was up and studying and going to the gym. It's like, it's like they've gone into a different world and that person is like a, uh, a movie character. You know, it's like I, I remember being like that at one phase of my life, but now I'm, you know, down here. So understanding you have to, you have to stop the habits of your lesser self that keep you stuck if you want to ascend to like that best self, that self in the vision. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know something interesting that you said um, about stimulus and stimuli. Um, I came across a very interesting uh, story about um, heroin. You know, it's the most addictive uh, drug that you can think of, right? Heroin. And a lot of US soldiers who were stationed in Vietnam were heroin addicts and users. They were under such stressful situations, right? Um, around 50% of them were addicted to heroin. Surprisingly, what they found out that when they moved back to the States, when they moved back home, uh, only 5 to 10% of them actually went back on the drug. So that was a major, major drop. And what they recognized was the change in environment. So basically, all the triggers that they faced in Vietnam, the gunfire, the shelling, and the constant fear of life, right? Those were the triggers which actually made them consume heroin. But when they were in a different environment where the triggers were not present, there was a major drop. So imagine the most potent and the most addictive drug known could also, uh, you know, that bad habit or pattern could be broken. 
by recognizing the stimuli and changing the environment. So I, I found this was an amazing story. So I 100% do relate with um, what you were saying here about stimulus and you know how it goes a long way. And um, the actually instant gratification as well, right? Um, the, uh, the second point that I'm coming to, which you mentioned, is that we don't delay gratification in this day and age. You're getting bored, you pick up your phone. You crave likes for your photographs, right? Um, you are bored, you go watch Netflix. Hey, who wants to, you know, slog and study in this day and age and the uneasiness you feel when you're trying to learn solvers, right? So do you um, suggest a, um, a reward uh, function or a structure where, okay, you know, I'll study for one hour and then I'll treat myself to a Netflix thing or a beer or something like that. Um, does that uh, reward uh, the delayed gratification actually help a good habit pick in the long run? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Uh, certainly, all the books, you know, Power of Habit, Atomic Habits, Atomic Habits is my favorite. Um, you know, they recommend having a reward. Whether your reward should, I don't think your reward should probably be the. I mean, I don't think a beer is the end of the world, but I wouldn't be rewarding myself with a cigarette, you know what I mean? Yeah. And in general, we just kind of want to move away from that idea that I'm doing this thing I don't want to do, and I'm going to give myself a reward with a bad habit. You know, I mean, if you haven't... Personally, I think the best reward from studying is winning. It is playing poker and realizing you know what the heck you're doing. You're having an edge in spots you didn't before. You're realizing you understand ranges better. I mean, the reward of studying is playing and feeling like a boss. That's mm -hmm. my personal opinion, at least. Um, and I think as you study and play, once you kind of get in that habit, you'll see, like, well, this is actually pretty cool. You know, I'm making more money. I know what I'm doing. I'm having more fun. Um, what I would say for rewards, and it actually touches on what you talked about. So the, the antithesis of that story about the soldiers is that the environment was what made them addicts. They were in this horrible, stressful environment that made them addicts. Mm -hmm. Now, it reminds me very much of this other, I hadn't heard this story before, but there was an experiment they did with rats in Harvard called the Harvard Rat Experiment. And it was like two bottles of water, one with heroin, one without. And the rats would always take the heroin and become addicts. And they, they tried to say, well, the way you stop addiction is take away the drug, because if the drug is there, they become addicts. But another researcher came along and said, I don't think this is true. I think you're jumping conclusions. And they put other rats in the cage together and like exercise wheels, like hamster wheel, like all these toys. And the rats in the second experiment, only like 5% took the heroin. Most of them, now that they had friends and they could hang out with each other and like sleep on top of each other, like cute little rats, they didn't become addicts. And what this researcher kind of said was that the opposite of addiction is connection. Wow, okay, so that's new, okay. This is like the critical point. If you learn one thing from what I've said today about habits, when it comes to your lesser habits, this is the thing. You're not, you're going on your phone looking for that stimulation, that hit of dopamine, generally because you feel disconnected. Hmm. And it's the same reason you go for a drink, it's the same reason you go for a smoke, it, it's, Almost like it's not quite loneliness, but it's like it's sort of loneliness. It's, it's a lack of feeling connection. And, you know, if you have spiritual beliefs or a connection in your meditation or a connection in, in that way, like a connection to life itself, mm -hmm. in a way that largely can kind of help inoculate you from this feeling of disconnectedness. Um, mm -hmm. 
if you're more of a kind of atheist belief system, then you really need to like tune into your connections with your friends and your family and other people. Because even, I mean, no matter what, if you don't have that connection in your life, it's going to feel meaningless. And, and a lot of drugs that actually reverse depression and reverse addiction, they change the brain in the same way that people change when they're receiving like a hug from a loved one. They change the, the neurological way that we feel connected. Because there's a certain part in your brain that when it's deactivated, you feel connection. And actually meditation, for example, deactivates this part of the brain. So it reduces activity, which makes you feel a greater sense of connection. So I mean, imagine that if I were to give you a hug or you were to sit down and meditate, for some reason you might feel the same thing. And that thing that you feel is what makes it easier to not give into your worst habits. Wow. I mean, that new thing that you just said about connection just blew me away because um, a lot of which, and it makes me actually reflect in the day and age that we live right now about, you know, everything is high tech. We are technically hyper-connected. Like you were sitting in Mexico uh, with, in, <laughs> with questionable internet, but still we are talking, right? I'm connected <laughs> to you uh, and we're talking. Um, Facebook thinks we can, we've got thousands of friends, but if you reflect uh, this generation in many aspects has been lonelier than ever. And um, that, that thing that you said about connection is beautiful because the more, uh, if you look at, look, look at it, um, say 30, 40 years back before the advent of the internet, people were more physically social, right? It was in their social construct, social events, meeting people, family. But nowadays, even at the dinner table, people are in their phones, right? So you are not actually connected, connected. So even if there was a flaw or if you're feeling lonely uh, or other psychological aspects that could have happened, right? Um, you don't relate to the next person. So uh, but the community goes a long way. So I shall jot this down and keep this. And I think this is why, why I started this blog as well, right? Because poker is a very solo sport. You know, now you don't even need to head out to your local casino. With the whole pandemic, you've got a laptop and you're good to go. But you are not really interacting or speaking to human beings. So the reason I started this blog was because we could do things like this, have people like you, you know, impart wisdom, and we could uh, talk and relate and get back from the community as well and grow as people and human beings. So I, I think that's a great aspect. I never really thought of it that way. So thank you for that, James. Um, previously, I remember we were speaking and exchanging notes, and you had mentioned the note of trauma in habit forming and how we behave. Do you want to touch uh, touch up more about that in terms of habits? Sure. Um, so. Trauma is something we all experience in our life. It's not just like, you know, being abused as a child, although that certainly is one form, but you can create traumas just based on your attachment profile. You know, like your mother walks out of the room and you're a baby and you don't know if she's coming back and you start screaming and crying and no one comes. That can create a trauma that's still there as an adult. It's kind of annoying that it works that way. But like this is the, this is the way humans are wired. So understanding that we all have traumas and, and Traumas are things that get triggered when something else happens. So you get pushed out on the playground and you felt not good enough and the other kids were like stronger than you. And now when somebody free bets you, you go you know, red in the head and you can't think straight because you're remembering, you don't realize that you're remembering, but you're feeling that similar frustration that you felt. You know, I mean, I had a client once that he had had this 
feeling of injustice when his like dad left, and this was getting triggered, and he would lose it in a, a game he was playing, you know. And it's um, it's quite interesting that it worked that way, and not. It's not so important to like pinpoint all your traumas and know, oh, this happened and that happened. You can get lost doing that. It can be helpful, and there's books and coaches that can help you do that. But it's, you know, it's just important to understand that we all get triggered, right? And when you get triggered, emotions go up, logic goes down. Okay? So whenever you're triggered, you're no longer being a rational being. And trauma is like physically stored in your body. There's a book called The, the Body Keeps the Score that talks about this concept. And generally what most of us have done is we've developed a, a, a slew of, call them like maladaptive behaviors, a bit of a judgment, but things that we just started doing, probably without a plan, we didn't have a vision and go, oh, when I get agitated, I will you know, go to the fridge and take out a beer. Okay, good, that's part of my life plan. No, it just started happening, right? All right, when I feel a little bit disconnected and alone, I'll just take out my phone and start scrolling Instagram. Nobody plans that in their diary, right? It's just something you start doing because it sort of numbs you to the pain that you're feeling, the discomfort, the uncomfortable emotion. So the, the key here is learning that we all have these maladaptive behaviors. Um, and we'll take out taking out your phone and scrolling. That's like the one that I think everybody has, right? You got a moment at the bus stop, you got a moment somewhere, and you're just on your phone. For no reason, you forget why you're there. So, knowing that there was some sort of physiological sensation that preceded this behavior, and learning to notice that when it happens and choose a different behavior, this would be how I would kind of work to unwire some of my my maladaptive behaviors. And maladaptive behaviors can easily be a result of trauma, right? If you felt, if in some way that your um, feeling that you're feeling is uncomfortable also has a connection to a trauma from your young life, then it's going to be magnified in how uncomfortable it feels for you, which will magnify the urge to find some sort of way to tune out from it. Um, example how it comes out in a habit because I, I I understand what you're saying but uh, I understand how people get triggered and uh, you know make bad calls or decisions at a poker table how does it um, come into say habits particularly okay so you have a story this was very common about not being good enough right uh, you something happened in your life maybe you got rejected for a date to the prom whatever. Um, and not to make light of anyone's pain, it's just like, you know, everyone has plenty of examples in their life where they, for a moment, didn't feel good enough, right? And um, now you're playing poker, and it's not going well. And maybe you've been studying, maybe you've been working on your game more than usual, and you kind of thought, hey, I've been studying, I thought I was going to win. But no, you're losing every hand you play, and you're getting very angry. Because you really want to feel like a good poker player, like you're like confident and more skilled than your opponents. But that's not what's happening. You're losing, and it's, on some level, you're feeling like, I suck, I'm not good at this, this isn't fair, like, why not me? Why did they get to win? Like, you're feeling all these emotions. This is the, the, the triggering and the, the uncomfortable situation. And the maladaptive behavior is continuing to rebuy or like, you know, snap rebuying and like three betting the next hand or, you know, moving up in the stakes 
doing something where we are like, if I if I just keep playing pots, keep playing big pots, you know, maybe I'll win, and then I'm gonna feel good, you know, because right now I'm feeling bad because I lost seven pots in a row. But if I could win a pot, I would feel better, you know. It would feel like the the downslide is over. So let me just try to win a pot anyway. You know what I mean? This yeah, is an example. And then they're play right there, you know, or a tournament player just registering tournaments where they're not plus EV in or max, you know, firing too many bullets because they want to get deep and then they feel mm -hmm. confident again. But when they're just like playing and busting, they, they feel like a loser and they don't want to feel like a loser. So they keep like trying to force the action. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? It, it makes perfect sense. In fact, you know, I'll take this time to we have a question from one of our audience and I think it's very relative. The power of saying no, how do you develop a habit of saying no to things which you know are not good for you and are going to affect your health or your game of poker? And I still do it. That's what the question is. Sure. Um, so I don't know what the specifics are, like if it's saying no to friends who invite you to, you know, go get high or, you know, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter. But um, one thing you can do is, I mean, I would do a combination of things. One thing is I would get very clear, like this is the, you know, 30 days of no challenge. You know, I've been a people pleaser for too long and I'm, you know, every correction is an overcorrection. So if you've been mm -hmm. saying yes to many things for a long time of your whole life, it's time mm -hmm. to say, you know what? I'm just going to see what my life looks like with ironclad boundaries. Maybe I'll relax some, but for the next 30 days, I'm planning what I want to do and I'm saying no to anything that isn't that. And then I will reevaluate. I'm not going to stop seeing my friends forever, but I'm just going to say no. I'm going to write down all the things that I want to start saying no to. And I'm just not, I'm going to eliminate, it's like an elimination diet. I'm going to say no to them completely for 30 days, 60 days, whatever, and just see how I feel without these things in my life at all and giving mm -hmm. myself enough time to like fill those gaps. Mm -hmm. And now I can say, okay, do I want to, you know, go out with drinks for friends uh, a couple times a month? Cause you know, you need that connection, right? Um, mm -hmm. But whatever it is, say, you know, write down what the things are so you know, and then say, like, you know, if it helps, write it out. I am saying no to blank for 30 days. I am saying, hey, you know, put it on your wall. Tell your mm -hmm. friends. Tell your parents. Tell who you live mm -hmm. with. Tell everybody, guys, I'm not doing this for 30 days or whatever. And, you mm -hmm. know, maybe it becomes real life. I, I have friends who, you know, gave up drinking forever. You know, but maybe it's 30 days, and then you find a healthier relationship with whatever that thing is you want to say no to. But it all starts with an empowering decision and a commitment. Okay, great. Um, also, um, James, I'd like to ask you, you we, were, we had a really good conversation about how the body keeps score, uh, whether it's childhood trauma, we, we were bullied. And I think you give a very good example that even if as a baby, you were not given the care and the love that you need somewhere, the body keeps score. So is there a way um, one can, you know, take care of so something like that and recognize that themselves? Or do they really always need to talk to a professional? I mean, talking to a professional obviously helps but why, why, uh, how can people do something about it as they are where they are uh, in their current situation? That's a fantastic question. And uh, I'll show you guys. So I do, um, and you don't have to do this, but this is something that I do. I do Wim Hof breathing, and I do it on my five-minute break when I play tournaments. Like I do one round of breathing, like almost every break. Again, I'm trying to find my score to show you guys, but I guess you believe me. Uh, yeah, these are my, my Wim Hof scores. I don't know if you guys have heard of what this is, but it's just a uh, kind of breath work. What it's about, because I think a lot of people don't sure. know about it. Even I hadn't heard of it. Okay, so 
remember I said that trauma stored in the body and mm-hmm. that it can be kind of a, uh, an endless search to figure out what hurt you or who hurt you, right? So what if we just don't care? We say, okay, let me just address the body. Because what happens when the trauma is triggered is your nervous system gets activated, right? And uh, you know, there's a very funny quote that says, I got 99 problems, but learning how to regulate my ner- nervous system solves my data. You know what I mean? Like all your maladaptive ha- behaviors are coming because you feel something physiologically bad because of some trigger. So don't try to, you know, do it all at the level of the mind because you may not be able to. Because remember, when you're emotionally activated, logical thinking goes down. Resolve the body. Your body is what's experiencing the trauma. Your body is what's in fight or flight. And when you're in fight or flight, you're agitated, you're anxious. That's when you're, you can't help yourself reaching for the crutch, the drink, the YouTube, the Netflix, whatever. So, so learning, learning how to regulate, regulate your nervous, nervous system. And nervous system starts with the breath. So there's many different ways you can focus on your breathing. The most basic form of meditation is just breathe in, breathe out, right? And you just focus on the air going in and the air going out. And then you might start to focus on the pauses between the breaths. And, uh, you know, meditation will help. But what I've found um, is that breath work is a little bit more breath-centered. And uh, I do meditation all the time, you know, almost every day. Mm-hmm. But breath work specifically will really help you target your ne- nervous system. And Wim Hof, mm-hmm. you can, you know, search on YouTube, Wim Hof, breathing exercise, you know, beginner. Um, or you can download the Wim Hof app. I think it's like $3 or something. It's, it's amazing. There's also free stuff in there as well, of course. And you just basically you do these rounds where you breathe into your belly and into your chest and then out. And this is called diaphragmatic breathing. Jared Tendler talked about this in the mental game of poker. And that was years before Wim Hof became popular. Just breathing into your belly, then into your chest, and then out. And when you're able to, like, when you're nervous and your fight or flight system's engaged, like if there was a tiger in the room, you breathe shallow. And people, they're thinking stress thoughts, then they're breathing shallow, and they're like, mind on some level is observing the body and mm-hmm. seeing, oh, my body's freaking out, we must be in danger. And it keeps thinking mm-hmm. more negative thoughts. If you can just make your body breathe by some, like somebody who was abundant and safe, then all of a sudden your thoughts get better. It's like magic, you know? We're usually trying yeah. to wrestle with the thoughts and convince ourselves why it's okay. But if mm-hmm. we just got our body to feel fantastic, it's like after a workout, your thoughts are just like magically better. Yeah. So you do this breathing, right? You just focus on your breathing, breathing into the belly, into the chest, and then out. And what he has you do is do uh, several rounds of this, like maybe like 20, 30 breaths, and then hold your breath for as long as you can, and then breathe in, take a big breath, hold it for a while, and then do it again. Mm-hmm. And you know, the first round, you might hold your breath for 45 seconds, second round, maybe a minute, you know, whatever. But um, it helps you, like, sitting there and not breathing, and your body's like, you need to breathe, try to breathe. And you're just like, we're fine. Your mind is telling your body, we're fine, even though your body is telling your mind, we can't breathe. And, and this, mm. this little exercise, this little inner conflict that you create on purpose for practice, helps you train your body, hey, you don't need to freak out so much. It's okay. You know what I mean? And, and being yeah. able to to parent your like inner child in that way and, and like parent your body in that way is mm. massively transformational um, for people who experience anxiety or feel like, uh, you know, get overwhelmed by their emotions. Well, I, I think that's how, if I could use a metaphor is that it clears up the brain fog, like an air purifier, right? 
Um, Because when you're like overloaded with information, and I think you just said that you use it during the five minute, uh, we had a question from one of our audience, right? What could you do during that five minute break? I think you answered that question now. Do the Wim Hof method, clear clear out your mind. It's the oxygen that gets in, clears the mind and makes you more level-headed. Wow, excellent stuff. So, okay, great. So, um, can you use this mid-tournament as well, right? If you like get a bad hand and you have a reaction where you thump your hand, move away, just go back to the breathing, right? That is the first thing you would want to do. Is that correct? Yeah, actually, I'm reading a comment in the chat here. It's kind of funny. Somebody said they tried the Wim Hof method and had an out-of-body experience and never would have thought we could use this method in a mind sport. Uh, that's actually a fair point, is that some people, when they do Wim Hof breathing or different kinds of meditation where you're working with, like, energy in the body, they can, like, basically have a DMT experience. They can have, like, a trip, you know, from chemicals within their own body, like they're just meditating or breathing and all of a sudden they're, you know, on another planet for 10 minutes. And I actually thought about this yesterday. I was, you know, I was playing the 5K on stars and I was like, what happens if I'm on my break here doing my breathing and uh, all of a sudden I like, you know, it's never happened to me before. I've never had an out-of-body experience in doing breathing, but I was like, if I just start tripping on my five-minute break, that's probably not GTO, right? So, I mean, you know, fair warning and that, I guess that can happen. It's, 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 um, I've never had that happen. If I have that happen to me or one of my students, I'd probably stop uh, using breathing on private break. But I would say also, if you're really worried about that, just don't go nuts on the breath hold. Just hold for like, you know, 45 seconds or whatever. You're not going to start chirping from that. Um, but yeah, sorry, I just wanted to address that because it's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, Flameboy986 had come up with that question. I think a lot of us, uh, it's actually worth trying because um, I practice meditation as, uh, myself and I, I've also started um, uh, uh, Buddhist chanting as well recently. My wife's into it. So I do, I am actually very now, my interest has been peaked about the Wim Hof method. Would love to try it, but uh, I'd probably try it, not in the five minute break, but would try it earlier <laughs> before I yeah, get into I mean, it. Yeah, it's Generally, you can do it in the morning. But one of the best things you can do for your life is uh, make a commitment that you don't touch your phone in the first hour of your day. You buy a physical alarm clock, whatever you got to do, right? And now in that hour, you can read that book you wanted to read. You know, you can you can learn breath work. You can do 10 minutes of breathing. You can do 10 minutes of yoga. You can do meditation. You can read the power of now. You can do all the wonderful things that will make your brain like a garden and then see everything else from the rest of the day in a positive light rather than like open your phone and there's like arguments about vaccines on Instagram, you know what I mean? And like, that's how you start your day. It's like, just imagine what world you think you live in based on how you spend the hour, first hour of your day. And really like, I mean, I would say it's like the most basic thing I do with all my one-on-one clients start working together is, all right, what time do you go to bed? All right, your phone is going off like one hour before that time. What time do you wake up in the morning? All right, your phone is not on for the first hour of the day, which is really hard with guys with crypto, but, um, you know, either way, you don't want to be living your life on, you know, reacting to the news, to Instagram, to coin market cap, whatever. It's just, it sucks. You're not in control of your own, like, state when you do that. I, I, I'm glad that you brought up this point because um, I've kind of left that habit right now because of my playing schedule. But I used to get up two hours before everyone at my household so I could, like, go for a walk, run, exercise, meditate, and then come back. So, you know, those are those two hours I had just for myself, because the rest of the day, you are a worker, you're a husband, you're someone else. But in those one or two hours before everybody wakes up, it's just yours. And so that gave me a level of satisfaction, right, to just like ease into it. And the rest of the day, 
was actually better. You could anticipate things better and feel better about things. Um, James, moving on to a thing, I, I would want to talk about the role of ego and the subconscious, you know, and we've, we've delved into mindfulness now. So I think it's a good time to talk about how people perceive themselves and how ego actually messes up with the equation of uh, things that we want and the life that we want. Sure. Uh, so ego, everyone's biggest obstacle, right? Um, the, the, the challenge with ego for most people is it prevents them from getting help. Um, there's just something like we feel like we should already know and we don't like to admit what, we, what our problems are, even to ourselves, uh, let alone to another person. So then we don't want to be vulnerable and share with that person and tell them our problems. So it just causes people not to get mentors, not to get coaches, not to find a community that can support them, not to do all the things that like people, people who didn't have didn't so much, have so much ego, ego just did, did and then, and then got, got that benefits, right? right? Like every great every crusher that you see, very, very few of them did it alone. You know, you know maybe, maybe there's a few, you know, especially gifted people. But I mean, but I mean, for the most, for the most part, they had they had groups of friends, or study partners, work really work with that really helped them ascend ascending into the top of the poker. And like, if you don't, if you don't have that, the lone wolf is the slow wolf. You know, the lone wolf dies alone in the in the woods. And people just they have this resistance to change. And then that's not normal. normal. Your ego, ego wants to hold on to like who you think you are. And, and unfortunately, like, like that includes your often your bad habits and your you know, angry responses. Like uh, it brings me to the if you can catch yourself whenever you say this and just stop, your life will change massively. And that is this single sentence that is probably the the most limiting belief that people have. They say, "Well, that's just the way I am." Like, what this sentence does is it projects the past into the future. It makes the past the future. It creates a continuity where you say, oh, yeah, but that's just how I am. Okay, conversation over, good luck, have fun. You know what I mean? Whenever, because people want to defend why they're doing what they're doing, because they don't want to be wrong, they don't want to be misunderstood, they don't want to feel that disconnection that happens if they're doing the wrong thing, because that might mean they're like the wrong person. But of course not, right? Like, like nobody's going to think that. The reality is, in order to change, you have to believe change is possible. And, and if you can get, like, hungry about change, if you can make that a part of your identity, like, I'm someone who changes. When I learn something I'm doing, it's great. I stop doing it because I'm not stupid. Like, when you make that a part of your identity, when your ego gets built up about growth instead of built up about staying the same, that's when you're going to start to see a lot more transformation in your life. And it's unfortunate that our society doesn't always champion that, right? Like when we look at politicians, if a politician changes their mind, we're like, oh, this guy's like a flip-flopper. Look, he used to vote for this, now he voted for this. I mean, like, if you don't change your mind about stuff, you might be a moron. You know what I mean? Like it's pretty important to be able to change your mind when you learn something new. So uh, there's just many, many reasons why the ego steps in the way. But usually they're all about contraction, staying small and staying the same. And in some way, that's like the little kid being like, yeah, this is me. But to be a grown-up, you just kind of have to realize, okay, this is my resistance. You know, you can find any word for it you want, but like my resistance is a good one, my ego, my defense system, like this is me not wanting to grow. This is me just like 
you know, standing in my own way. Like, okay, like, do I really want to do that? You know, would it be better if I got some help? Would it be better if I, you know, read this book, learned this thing, you know, would it be better if I, if I worked on this? You know, and usually the answer is yes. And sometimes the ego is like a defense for a fear, a fear that we can't change, a fear that it hurts too much to try and fail. And then we might feel not good enough and feel down and feel less than because we thought we, 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 we kidded ourselves that we could make an improvement. And then look, we're back where we started. And this is actually very interesting because what holds a lot of people back is how much time they waste when they fail feeling bad about themselves because of all the meaning they make. So say you say, I'm going to go to the gym every day this week, or I'm going to study every day this week. And then like day three, you, you, for whatever reason, you just don't. And then for a month, you're just like, I'm not doing that again because I felt like my mind told me I was such a loser that I couldn't do three days in a row. I wanted to do a week. I didn't even do three days. And you just feel so critical of yourself that you like don't want to try and be motivated again because it was so painful that you didn't do it. And I mean, what would help massively, what would be a way better strategy is go, well, whatever, I'm going to go tomorrow. You know what I mean? If you can just stop the judgment and all that stuff and like don't try to, it doesn't matter why. It doesn't. You don't have to micromanage it. Like, okay, shit happens, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Just get back on the horse tomorrow and, and just like, don't care. And if you can just do that and make those gaps that were a month, a day, like you will forget that you ever had this problem. Does that make sense? I mean, it makes absolute sense. I, I think um, what it actually comes down to from what you just said right now, was generally people are not prepared to fail. So they don't take the chance. They take the easy way out. And that's where the ego kind of assists them as well. And, um, you know, I, I, was, I, I liked uh, reading up on history, uh, Theodore Roosevelt's General Rommel, they're all stories of people who actually had a very tough life and uh, all of them persisted and they weren't afraid of failure. And uh, I think a lot of people nowadays, um, especially in, from the kind of society we come from, uh, there's a hierarchical society where people expect a lot from us, whether it's your spouse, it's your parents and your friends around you. And then you also know about the social pressure of, oh, now with social media, I got to have a better car than my neighbor. I got to dress better than my neighbor. And that's where the ego comes in, where I can't be seen to fail which actually triggers off a lot of things in society. So um, for someone who has, who feels uh, that he or she has a lot of eyeballs on them, what would you say to them in terms of ego and not putting themselves out there? Sure. I mean, it, it's not necessarily going to be a light switch uh, to change this, uh-huh. but um, becoming awareness, uh, or sorry, becoming aware, awareness is almost always the first step. Like now you're aware that I have an issue around fear of failing. Fantastic. You know what I mean? Like, good that you know that because many people go their whole life and don't know that. So pat yourself in the back right now. And, and realize that often a fear of failure is a fear of really harsh self-criticism. It might be criticism from other people, but often when it is criticism from other people, what we're afraid of is that we believe their criticism because it always comes back to our self-esteem. You know, self-esteem being the way you feel about yourself when you're by yourself. Um, so realize that to, to do anything well, you have to fail. It's just part of the game. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. And try to mm-hmm. fail forward, you know? So don't be surprised when something doesn't work out. Just be like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, so 
I thought I could work out five days in a row. I only got two. Maybe I need a rest day, and then I could do two day off too. And there's like, there's no BS. I just, I just iterate. You know, like learn this word, tattoo it on your arm, iterate. Don't care about failure. Just care about okay, this didn't work. Tweak one variable, try again. Okay, this, like that's how success is done. It, it, you know, Elon Musk can blow up four rockets or three rockets or whatever. <laughs> And spend all the money that he made at PayPal and be broke again and he can borrow money for rent. Like you can, you know, try out POSOL for three days in a row until you start to understand what the heck's going on in there. Um, yeah. So that, that's kind of the, the main thing is the self-criticism. A couple of resources like Bernie Brown wrote an excellent book, The Power of Vulnerability. Um, and she's got a talk on Netflix as well. It's really good. Uh, I think she's the best author um, on vulnerability. And, and in a way, being able to be seen either starting small, you know, doing something that might not work out or potentially failing. This is, um, this is being vulnerable. And most guys, especially men in culture, are trying to, oh, if you're vulnerable, that's bad. But actually having the, like, what she defines courage as is a willingness to be vulnerable, right? Like, it's not courage if you do something you weren't scared to do. Courage is like when you're scared and you do it anyway. You know, for anyone, I mean, starting a business, right? Like, how does it feel to put out your first ever social media posts? Or to talk into your phone to make a story? What, you, know, when you, have, you know, when you have 200 followers, how did that feel? You know, I, I remember. I remember it was difficult just to, like, all the people around you were like, what are you doing? You know, like, but that's, that's how things get built. So, wow. And um, speaking of e uh, ego and putting yourself out there, um, let's talk a little bit about you know um victimhood because the thing is people actually are very harsh on themselves and they say oh i'm the victim right and uh, that actually has a different effect of their psyche we were speaking of this so um how does you know being attached from the story uh you, you uh, we i wanted to discuss to you about this people need to change their perspective and not see themselves as the victim right in any situation like that and when they do what are the downsides of that sure um, so the ego, it's like, if it can't get everything it wants, if it can't be like happy, at least I want to be right. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? So this is why you hear poker players tell bad beat stories. Cause it's like, if I didn't win the tournament, then let me just explain to you that I was the most unlucky person who played it. Cause I was the best player, but I had the least amount of luck. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Does that sound familiar? Yeah, because they want to say that I was right in that decision. My shovel, my call was right, but I just got unlucky. If I'm a crusher, I'm special. If I'm, you know, the best player you never heard of because I'm unlucky, I'm special. But if I'm just average, that's the worst thing for the ego. The ego does not want to be met. It doesn't want to be forgettable because ego is reputation. It's attention. It's, it's that currency of awareness of the people paying attention to me and caring about me. And if I'm just a whatever poker player, that's the worst thing. You know, like I want to be a crusher. If I'm not a crusher, it's because I'm a really great player who's on a, like a big downswing, you know, it's really unfortunate. But I don't want to just be like, I'm just a six out of 10. That, that feels terrible. So that's one way. And um, that's one thing that fuels the victim story. The other thing is like people get addicted to certain states of being. And victimhood is one of those states. And when you're in that state, it doesn't feel like a choice. Like everything that goes wrong 
your mind is like automatically jumping to conclusions and you don't even know that it did that. You just feel like you're perceiving reality. So like somebody bumps into you on the street and you're like, oh, that guy's a jerk. Like nobody cares about me. Like people don't even notice me. You know, like everything, it's like you're wearing these dark colored glasses. Like everything that happens in the, in the world is unfair and like there's no opportunity for you and life sucks. And you know, look, sometimes it's not your fault those glasses are on your face. Maybe your parents were super negative. Maybe, you know, difficult things happen in your childhood. Like, it's not your fault if you feel like a victim at some stage of your life. But if you allow that, if you never take those glasses off and say, okay, you know what, enough of this, well, it doesn't really matter if it's your fault or not. You're going to experience the life of a victim, and that's going to suck. So it, it becomes really important to take responsibility for everything in your life that sucks. You know, when you take responsibility for every pain and shortcoming in your life, your whole life can change. Because if it's not your fault, you can't do anything about it. But once it's my fault, okay, I'm gonna solve this, because you know, if I don't solve it, who will? Does that make sense? So you gotta own it. You gotta own it, yeah. whatever's happened to you so that you get better. Uh, Excellent stuff. I, I think I also like to call this the fallen hero syndrome, right? That, ah, in the blaze of glory, I was right, I'm just the victim. But uh, a fallen hero stays fallen, right? You got to get back on that saddle and uh, get on with life and do better and come out of your rut. Excellent stuff there, James. Um, James, I, I have so many questions for you. I think these are the most number of questions I've had. Um, before a session, during the session as well. So that's some great stuff. Um, I, I think um, if it's okay with you, shall we jump into the Q&A? And these shall involve questions, mindset questions, not just related to habit. Are we cool with that? Yeah, sure, of course. Uh, somebody in the chat asked about the power of now. Oh my God, yeah. does my video looks like that. That's horrible. <laughs> oh, no, I'm bad, right. uh, Yeah, Mexican internet. Um, the Power of Now is like one of my favorite books. I've read it six times. I, I strongly recommend it. If you're somebody asked to talk more about it, just read it. You know, read it twice. Uh, <laughs> the first time I read it, it took me six months to read it, and um, wow. it, it was just like I would read it two pages, and I just like close it and just stare at the sky and like think. And I was like, oh. you know, and I would really let it like sink in. Um, and it wasn't until like the, the fourth or fifth time I read it that like the second half of the book like made a lot more sense to me. Oh, yeah, I kind of see that now. So I wouldn't worry about if it's confusing. I would just appreciate it. That's like, I mean, I don't know. For me, that like is like one of the, the like, I don't know, the sacred books. Like that, that book, like you can't read it enough. Um, and if, if the language is really too difficult, there's another book called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And it's written in a lot more plain English. It's a lot less esoteric in its language. But in many ways, it explains the same concepts. And I'm happy to, you know, rattle off a couple other books that are amazing and well worth reading. That would be valuable. Wow. But. I'm making notes because I'm going to be sharing these. And oh, for those of you who haven't checked it out, uh, there's an excellent video where James has made uh, about the lessons from, uh, what was that? Queen's Gambit. I found that really intriguing, James. Oh, good. Interesting points. If anyone out there is feeling like a victim, which no judgment, I felt like a massive victim during the hardest time of my life. No surprise, right? Uh, it's not a good strategy. But um, there's a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And oh, yeah. this Victor book was something. Victor yeah. Frankl, yeah. 
Yeah. If you know that you're a bit of a victim, and if you know you're negative and you feel like everything is happening to you, just read this book. You know, and, and like it will, it will help. Yeah. And again, no judgment. I, I've been there. I've been a victim. Uh, and you know, if you want a lighter version of that book uh, in form of a movie, you can watch uh, Life Is Beautiful. Have you watched that movie, James? No, I don't think so. Maybe so it's, about, it's about it's um, about this uh, father and son who are locked away in a German camp, uh, at, you know, where all the Jews were during the Second World War. Yeah. And he makes the whole in, uh, the uh, the uh, the whole camp as a game for his son. That if you do this, you get these many points. If you do this, you do these uh, many points. And uh, towards the end, if you win, you get a tank. And uh, so he makes everything cheerful for his son. You know. When they're making him go work outside, he starts marching in a funny way, where his son is looking, even though he's dead tired. And um, the movie ends in such a beautiful way that even when they're taking him away to get shot, and um, you know, that's when the army comes in, the allied forces comes in with a tank. So the kid actually thinks he won a tank by what he was doing. So it's basically a perspective of life, how a father takes care of his son in the bleakest of hours and uh, stays positive uh, throughout life. So uh, Victor, uh, uh, Victor Frankl's story is also about him being imprisoned in one of those camps and, his, and how he perceives life in the most dire circumstances. So yes, that's a very good read. Uh, thank you for sharing that, James. Um, James, um, is, is there any other question that piqued your interest in the chat? Uh, right, I'll throw one your way. Uh, I, mean, I don't know. I, I like, there's so many. <laughs> I don't even know. Like, um, <laughs> I don't so know where to start. Yeah, I've got this uh, from Peace to Live. This is his Instagram handle. Um, how do we develop a flexible daily routine considering all the important daily activities, uh, fo fo uh, focusing on, um, say, health, gameplay, and everything else? So they want to basically know um, what are the, how can we recognize good habits and bad habits and come up with a concrete plan? Should they meditate over it, think over it, discuss it, or have, uh, what is the best way to go about having a good daily plan? How does one commence? I think that's the question. That's a loaded, loaded question, question. but uh, yeah. for a poker player, uh, as time is of the essence, I'm going to kind of just lay it out for you. Mm -hmm. Wake up at the same time every day, go to bed at the same time every day. Don't drink mm -hmm. caffeine uh, within six hours of going to sleep, maybe eight. Uh, don't use your phone two to three hours before bed. Don't use your phone in the first hour of your day. Make sure you get physical activity like running, bicycling, or going to the gym, or yoga, or whatever, three to four times per week. Um, five is fine as well, but when you exercise your body, your brain releases a chemical called brain-derived nootropic factor. It's really helpful for your decision-making process and releasing stress. If you're not getting that for a long time, you're gonna make worse decisions and you're gonna feel worse. Um, if you can, find 10 minutes to meditate. Meditation, as we talked about, changes your brain in positive ways. It increases your awareness, makes it easier to say no to things as people wrote in the chat. Um, it also makes it easier to focus, right? And to recognize, hey, I don't need to pick up my phone right now. Time off your phone will do that as well. You know, eat a relatively healthy diet, whatever that means to you. You don't have to eat any specific diet. You don't have to fast or anything like that. Like, you can if you want to. But, you know, avoid sugars and processed foods. Uh, avoid loaded massive meals before bed or before your sessions. Um, like none of this stuff is rocket science, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But um, it's just, you may not have people around you 
following these habits, and that's what makes it hard. Because mm-hmm. if your girlfriend eats McDonald's and smokes cigarettes, well, what do you think you're going to do? You know what I mean? If you're, if you're living at home with your parents, you're living with friends, and they have lousy habits, it's very hard. You know, we talked about the heroin mice and the heroin soldiers. So mm-hmm. honestly, you might have changed your environment. But if you're not going to change your environment, you're going to have to get like crystal clear on the map of your life. So one thing you can do for that, buy yourself a planner. You know, like go to the store, buy one of those notebooks that has like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and it has like the time, a place where you write your goals. Like it doesn't matter which one you buy, but start filling that out. Start taking a passionate interest in how you live your life and the way you live your life will change. And look at that friggin' notebook every day. And if you put it away for a few days, don't feel bad or ashamed that you stopped using it. Just pick it back up. Got it? Yeah, that, that's, I think, a very, very specific answer and a good answer. Thank you for that, James. Uh, we have another person. Um, I think uh, he asked, Alvin asks, and it's a good question. Smoking and, about smoking and drinking habits. How does it get, how does it affect my game when there's so much stress involved? I use it as a de-stressor. Yeah, perfect. Um, so start to replace those habits as often as possible with healthier alternatives that reduce stress because those are basically maladaptive behaviors. They they make you feel a temporary relief from stress, but they overall lower your state. They make you feel worse, right? You get a hit of dopamine, but then like you're like down here and you have less dopamine and less serotonin afterward. So it's like mm-hmm. it, it's like buying good feeling on credit. It's the best way I can explain it, right? Uh, you pay more for it later. So do things that are buying good feeling with interest, like interest in your favor. And those things would be like exercise, uh, breath work, like the Wim Hof app I talked about, or meditation, you know, Headspace is great, Waking Up app is great, mm-hmm. uh, FitMind is great if you're on iOS. So mm-hmm. do more of those three things and mm-hmm. just like less smoking and drinking and especially avoid alcohol before bed. If you have a sleep tracker and you drink and you sleep, you will see it is a disaster. Like mm-hmm. you can't even imagine how much worse you sleep. And if sleep was a drug, you, you would be like, you know, taking loads of it. Like what sleep does for your body that is good it is like monumental. You know, I love to talk about meditation, but sleep is more important. Sleep is the thing. And mm-hmm. if you could get better to sleep, it's like all your habits, they're chained together. And if you could sleep better, it's easier not to drink, and then it'd be easier to meditate. But because you're drinking and you don't sleep well, then it's hard to want to meditation and sleep good. You see how this, like, you have to just start the upward spiral instead of the continued downward spiral. And that might be challenging the first couple of days, you know, like, uh, one thing about your brain is, as I said, it rewires to be better at the habits you ask it to do. And it takes, you know, anywhere from three weeks to like, you know, 81 days. So mm-hmm. be patient with yourself. Be supportive. Be loving. Be kind to yourself. Don't be self-critical. Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. remind yourself, like, this will get easier. Let's stick to the script. You know, get that notebook, plan 90 days, and just start being the person you know you should be for 90 days. And supporting yourself instead of judging yourself when you slip up because your brain is changing and uh you know if you guys want help with that certainly reach out to us on instagram you know like we do coach poker players okay um and we also have this uh, question a very specific question about technical gameplay but the person recognizes that it's a mental um, aspect he says that sometimes i know that i'm in a losing hand on the river but i still call the opponent's value bet just to see their cards I always tell myself that I will not call any pet in this situation, but I can't control my mind and I call their pet. Please tell me how I can control and uh, control this aspect of my game. Mm. It's very interesting that you said you've actually like 
decided not to do this and still do it. Mm -hmm. um, so I've helped a client with this before. Um, often it's having tr trouble with uncertainty, you know? Um, what happens if you fold? Do you feel like maybe you got bluffed? Like maybe, or do you feel, you know, often this happens in situations where the river changed the board. So like you know you had the best hand on the turn, but then you know he got there on the river. Yeah. And like he bets the river and you just, screw you, I call. Like screw you, here's my money. It's so, it, it's, Basically, you're getting emotionally triggered by the river card, and then when you're triggered, you don't make good decisions. So um, one thing that I do, I practice this, and you're welcome to take it if you think it works for you. Whenever like the cards are coming out, you know, I just like remind myself it's not in my control, you know, not in my hands, yeah. right? Like not in my control. Mm -hmm. So the river's an unfortunate card, and you bet. It's like that's already unlucky, you know. Like the river completes a flush and a straight, the guy leads. So I'm like. Okay, I lose. You know, and yeah. I just fold, right? Mm -hmm. um, I deal with my disappointment, you know, before. I'm like, oh, that was a bad river card, you know? Um, and I try to decouple that, right? Um, ultimately, if you're playing, ultimately, like, it's, it's, it's being too attached to the outcomes, okay? You know, being too attached to the results. I don't know if you're playing for more money than is uh, comfortable for you, perhaps, or you're mm -hmm. just not thinking strategically while you play. And, and this other place, like, the more you study, the more you think about ranges, mm -hmm. like, the more obvious the logical choice is going to be. And then yeah. if you still can't make it, okay, you know, maybe there's some, like, trauma that's getting triggered. Maybe work through that with a, with a mindset coach or something. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, ultimately, if you know your range, you know your opponent's range, and the river's terrible for your range, it should be kind of easy to fold. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think there's still uncertainty. Like, you don't really know what bluffs they have and what value hands. You don't really know where you're at in your own range. And then you don't really know what happened if you fold. But if you call, you feel like you're going to learn something, or at least you're like, you'll, you won't have made him, you won't have like missed something. And, uh, you know, the way you get that certainty is by studying and understanding the game better. Oh, excellent. Because I'm glad you uh, used the last time because. I was going to say that most of the people here have a problem with, um, they can't accept that, oh, we don't know. They can't rest with the uncertainty that if I fold, I don't know for sure if they had it or not, and I have to know. Um, it's that kind of uncertainty which actually, uh, it, it is a big factor in many people, it was in me as well, that I've got to know, right? It's, I can see a juicy value bet. Uh, he's almost inviting me in. You can see that with the bet sizing. But instead of thinking hand combinations, instead of thinking ranges, it's that figure, right, that you got to see it. So uh, excellent. That's knowing is actually better in terms of um, if you want to really know about it, think in terms of ranges um, instead of panicking and feeling unfair and, ah, here's my money, like you said that. In fact, you know what? Uh, I was just going through my Sunday hands where I put in my money like good on the turn. It was all in on the turn. And I thought I had it. And when I saw that hand in, um, in the tracker, I saw it was 75-25. So that kind of gave me some solace, right? I was like, hey, it wasn't like a hands down 98% and then you lost. It was still a 70-30. And in the long scheme of things, it is going to be 70-30. It's not 100% down. So I think it's that form of entitlement, even when you're ahead, 
uh, that is what gets to people that, okay, I'm going to disregard the run out on the board in the river. So that, that's oh, an yeah. excellent point. Dave. I mean, you can waste a hell of a lot of mental energy, especially on a Sunday, if you root for your cards and hope your opponents don't get their cards. I mean, this is the amateur, right? <laughs> this, is a, this is somebody who likes to feel that. But a professional, I mean, when I, when I play poker, as soon as we're all in, I just look away from the screen. And I'm like, all right, whatever happens, I don't care. I'm going to look back if I have, like, if I get it in, I have 20 big blinds, and the guy has 16. All I need to know is either how to play 36 big blinds, how to play four mm -hmm. big blinds, or how to play 20 if it's somehow chopped. Other than that, I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, I have seven, he has ace king. I have, you know, king jack, he has ace queen. Like, none of that stuff matters. And yeah. if every time that happens, you attach significance to that, and like mm -hmm. root for your cards, and when they don't come, you feel like you didn't like want it bad enough. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's madness. It's like it, it. You just have to get good at saying that's out of my control now. Like I don't. Yeah. Care I, I love the story. Like, I, I love the story from Jonathan Little. He says that when he went to the casino, he got in nines against Ace King. And then the opponent gets a king on the river and everybody on the table is like, oh, that is so unfortunate. You know, he sucked you out. And he was like, it was a flip. What do you expect? Sometimes you win some, you lose some. But people react more overwhelmingly when they hit their card or they don't hit their card. Uh, it's amazing. And, and I kind of like your strategy as well because I've started doing this as well. Especially when I'm in the short stack game because towards the end of the night, you have three more tables where you're playing short stack. And, you know, your ranges are pretty clear. Like, this I got to shove, this I got to call. And um, you become very invested in it. So that's a good trick. I think I'm going to try and use that sometime. Um, I, I think I'll take this uh, moment. I think we've got through most of the questions. I just want to thank James for coming. And I do want to tell all you guys about his course, uh, about his Poker Mastery course. Uh, you guys should know that it's just not the um, mental game aspect that um, James helps you as a coach. He also has a PLO5 uh, stable. I think, James, you, you give me a lot of interesting detail about that. So I think I'll let you tell the audience about it, about your PLO5 stable. Sure. So um, we have a stable for Pot Levin Omaha 5 card, and we play um, on the apps, right, on PB Poker and, and uh, U Poker and Poker Bros. And um, basically the way our team works is we give guys the strategy coaching. We have a huge video library, which I think is probably the best video library in, in the world for uh, PLO5 uh, in English, certainly. And um, when somebody joins our team, uh, we're going to assess their play, where they're at right now, and then we're going to give them access to this video library and um, put them in study groups and pair them with other people in the team. And we have a, a Discord server with a forum where they can post their hands and you know get feedback from their coaches. And basically, we create uh, a learning environment, a high-level learning environment. And um, we've had guys who joined us who are playing the equivalent of US dollar, like 20 cent, 40 cent, right? And we've moved them up to playing US dollar two four or three six within six months, and that's crazy, you know, to to 10x your your stake mm -hmm. in six months, pretty pretty magnificent. Um, so you know we're pretty selective. We don't just take anybody. We actually turn away like the vast majority of people that apply, just because unfortunately in the gambling world, often there's a reason why somebody is like looking for someone else's money to gamble with, right? That's just <laughs> the nature of the beast. But if you are um, very hardworking, very driven, and you know, really want to get your, your stuff together and you looking for an opportunity in poker, I mean, certainly send us a direct message. Um, the Instagram account is at F-I-V, the number five, P-L-O. 
Uh, I think I, I'm going to double check that. Uh, yeah, sorry, because we have a Portuguese team as well. Uh, but you know, send us a send us a message. You're welcome to apply for our team. Everyone who joins our team also gets access to um, my foundation's mindset program. So um, double check this is right. Nope, I gave you guys the Portuguese one. So give me a second. It's P L O. Okay, yeah. So the English team, the one that I'm in charge of, is at P L O M F I V, and then the number five. And that's the English one, right? Um, we don't have a team with an Indian language, but we may have some uh, Indian coach uh, at some point in the near future. But um, yeah, certainly, you know. We are looking for people who want to work hard, you know, and, and who want a good opportunity. They want a place where they can be cultivated and become winning players, you know. Um, so that's the way our, that our team works. And um, yeah, we have video library, we have group coaching, you know, we have study partners. I mean, all the stuff that goes into a community that makes successful players. So I have that experience from working at a tournament stables uh, like BitBeat, which I worked at for several years, and I saw like what it took to make the number one tournament stable in the world at that time. Um, we may open a tournament stable. Uh, at this time, we don't have one. Uh, we're talking about it. So if you're a tournament player, you know, maybe just uh, give us a follow on Instagram, and then you'll be able to see if we start doing tournaments as well, and you'll be able to apply for that. And uh, certainly, if you're uh, you know a poker player already, kind of established, and you're, you know you're making money from poker, and you want to work with a mindset coach, definitely just send me a message on Instagram. We have. Uh, one-on-one -on -one coaching either with myself or with members of my team who I've trained. Uh, we have group coaching and we, I also have a, a really, really in-depth video program that was like, honestly, kind of like my life's work. So if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to learn from me, I would definitely encourage you to get in touch and, uh, you know, see what program is right for you because that video program is like, every question that you guys asked was like answered and explained with videos. We have an Excel document that like teaches you how to make your schedule and how to plan your days as a poker player and how to like check off your habits and which habits and all of that stuff is included. So uh, James, is that uh, free for all or is uh, some of it free and some of them it is for the paid members? Uh, that is a good question. Um, actually forgot about it, but we do have a free course. It's, um, it's, I'll see if I have the link for it. I didn't actually remember that that would actually be something people might be very interested in. Uh, let me give it a check. So oh, we have just quick, okay. Uh, just to acknowledge, I've shared the PLO five handle on the chat uh, as well as for the uh, poker mindset coaching as well, so that people can get access to it later. Sure, you can put my my Instagram in there. Sorry if it's a lot to ask you guys to follow for Instagram jumps. You don't have to. But, uh, yeah, we have PLO five. We have poker mindset, and we have my personal one, which is just a lot of coaching related stuff. Um, sometimes talking about poker, sometimes uh, just talking about whatever. So let's see here. Okay, uh, guys, for all that information, it will be in the description of the video towards the end as well. I will edit that so that you get James' handle, the PLO5 handle, as well as Mindset uh, Coaching Instagram handle. And you can always get in touch with James. All right, I'm going to send, do you want me to send this to you on Instagram, the, uh, the free course? Yeah, sure. All right, you missed it. So this, uh, this is just basically, it's not a lot of content. It's maybe three hours. And it's kind of an introduction to a lot of the things that we talked about today, like meditation and ego and how meditation can help you as a poker player. And uh, it's really a lead into the, the paid program that I have. But if you go through this course and you start meditating, 
it will help you a lot. And there's, I, you know, I'll let you know some of the books that some of the content comes from I've said today, like, you know, The Power of Vulnerability, The Power of Now, um, Untethered Soul, Man's Search for Meaning, Atomic Habits. If you read those five books, your life is going to change. Um, but certainly, yeah, enjoy the free course. And then if you finish it and you want to work with us, uh, send us a direct message at Poker Mindset Coaching on Instagram. And, uh, you know, we welcome to have you. And obviously, if you want to jump right in and start doing some coaching, you know, just send us a message. Let us know what's going on in your life, what you need help with. Uh, we help people with everything from, you know, geez, you name it, uh, crushing poker and, like, habits, but also, you know, quitting addictions, drugs, whatever. You know, I've done relationship coaching, help people with all sorts of stuff. You know, if you're a poker player and you have a problem, I'm pretty freaking confident we can solve it. So. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that, James. Um, that's, this was an excellent question. I think there were a couple of things. Um, generally, I come to a talk with a glass half full, half full, right? There's something you've read and heard about the subject. But today, I think my glass was filled more. Uh, there were some new concepts and new insights that I learned. And uh, I'm actually really happy that I came with that outlook and you actually provided that. I can see a lot. I was sharing the chat on the stream as well because there's a lot of positive response that has come in and uh, people would be in touch with you and your content and um, you know whenever somebody comes to the uh, to the podcast i actually say a special thank you for because apart from the business side right you are actually contributing to the community as well with what you're learning and we are richer for that so james thank you for joining us all the way from mexico i do want to apologize to our audience as well for the temporary video trans uh, you know yeah <laughs> that's okay but yeah. i think the content and the voice were bang on so at least we didn't goof that up and uh, it was an absolute pleasure speaking with you james i hope we can get you on the podcast again sometime in the future it was lovely speaking with you and i wish you the best of luck for a couple of day twos you have uh for the wsop <laughs> i have six actually yeah six. i'm starting six <laughs> Yeah, Ladies and gentlemen, well. that is your coach for you, man. If you want to make into six day twos, have a best mindset and crush, James is the man. <laughs> check check his um, Instagram out as well. It's James Witted and Poker Mastery Mindset. James, thank you so much. It was a great pleasure having you. And go get them. I guess see you. See ya. Bye.